Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here's what's on the podcast today. How did we get here again? We have all the shouting from the sidelines encouraging the provincial government of Ontario to do something, make a decision, for goodness sake. Plus, I get a call from the Toronto District School Board robot. And Ann Kavukian talks about a vaccine passport, a reality in Ontario. Let's get to it. How is it possible that we are here again? What in the world? How did we get back to a point where we're just all waiting around to see whether or not the Ford government's going to do something? Welcome to Ontario. Waiting on DOFO. That'll be our new slogan. DOFO up, the DOFO show at 1 o'clock today. And then we have that walking Mobius strip, Dr. Williams, Dr. David Williams, the medical officer of health, later on this afternoon. I'm not confident we're going to understand anything better by the end of the day that we do right now. I don't think we will. Not going to have any more answers. I mean, for the love of Pete, for the love of Santa, for the love of Jolly St. Nick, the school break begins in like a day. I think some school boards have a PA day on Friday. TDSB does not. It means my kids are in school again tomorrow. If you've got kids in the TDSB, they're going to be in school tomorrow. Is that it, though? Because after that, of course, they're on the holiday break. Are they coming back? I'm going to talk about that. We're at a point where we're, we got the shouting from the sidelines again. We got the exhortations from public health, whether it's the local public health officers in Toronto or elsewhere. We got mayors saying this is not working. You know, you got the mayor of Mississauga, Bonnie Crombie, telling Doug Ford, you know, a regional approach might be a good idea here because what we're seeing is people zipping out to Oakville, heading out to Hamilton, going to Oshawa. I don't know the name of the malls in Oshawa. I really got to study that. And now we got this call from the Ontario Hospital Association. It is asking the government to implement a four-week lockdown in every public health unit that has an infection rate of 40 per 100,000 population or higher. Now, that, that's a technical term, obviously. And let me just tell you what that would mean. If the government were to say, yeah, that's a good idea, we're going to do that, <clears throat> it would mean that the following areas would go into lockdown, and this isn't all of them, but these following areas would immediately enter lockdown. Hamilton, Durham, Waterloo, Halton, Niagara, Brant, Middlesex, London, Huron, Perth, Kingston, Simcoe, Muskoka, Haldeman, Norfolk. I could go on! Christine Elliott, the Minister of Health for this province, was asked about this, was asked about the Ontario Hospital Association and their call for the extension of lockdown areas pretty much right across the province. Here is Christine Elliott. So we are working with the Hospital Association. We are uh, very aware of their concerns. We receive those numbers on a daily basis as well. And so we are looking at uh, uh, considerations, uh, what's been working, what hasn't been working, because we want to make sure that we uh, put in the most effective measures possible. Okay. Um, I don't understand that. No, I don't get it there, Doc Williams. I don't understand it. 
I don't get it. I don't because oh well, we see the same numbers that they do, and we're working with them, and it's important that we're looking at everything. And oh, look over there, something shiny. Meanwhile, as we talk about schools, is the thing. Now maybe you don't have kids in the school system. Maybe to you, you're like, what are you talking about? I've had enough of you. Uh, enough of you. I deal with this fairly regularly because, you know, my other job is I uh, anchor the co-anchor, pardon me. Co- if I don't say co-anchor, far and are calls, and we don't want that. I co-anchor the 5.30 and 6 o'clock news with Farnhauser here on Global. And so we have these editorial meetings in the morning where we talk about what do we need to cover. And a number of the people, God bless them, uh, youngsters, youngsters, you know, uh, barely in long pants, will say, well, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't get the school thing. We don't know anything more about it. I don't know why we're doing it. And it's like, well, you don't have kids. We're freaking out over here. That's the, what all the parents say on the call. So um, I was on that call this morning. I was on this editorial call, pretty much doing that. And th- and a call comes through, and I never answer my phone anymore. I don't know if you like me, just never, because I don't need my ducks cleaned. I don't, I don't, I don't need my ducks cleaned, so I don't answer my phone. And so this call though actually was from the TDSB, and it goes right to voicemail, and I picked it up. Uh, and and here is the message that I, a parent of. Two kids in the Toronto District School Board. This is the voicemail I got from the Toronto District School Board this morning. It is important to note that any decision on the closure of a school or the system is made based on the advice of public health officials or the provincial government and is not made by the TDSB. We have received no indication that schools will close. Well, thanks, TDSB robot. That clears that up. I don't understand that. So the TDSB robot says, don't call us. (laughs) We don't know. All we got around here to to make phone calls is this robot. So the, the TDSB says, we don't know, but maybe you should get ready. I don't know what I don't know what to say about it. I mean, I feel I kind of feel a little bit, bit like Barbara Yaffe. <laughs> I just say whatever they write down for me. This <laughs> <laughs> is the associate medical officer of health in this province. I just should schools close, Barbara Yaffe? You think maybe should schools close? <laughs> should... I just say whatever they write down for me. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, there you go. Barbara Yaffe, I believe, will be with uh, Dr. Williams at 3 o'clock this afternoon. And as I mentioned, the DOFO show is back on today, Doug Ford. Well, no, see, cut that out because I told you, I I, I told you that when Doug Ford said, well, I'm not going to do these daily things anymore, I said, he's not going to be able to stay away from the limelight. He's not going to be able to do it. He's, he's addicted. It's like a drug. Like, give it to me. I want to be on TV again. I need to. Let's give this a shot. Let's, you know, he's going to be on there saying that. And then all the questions today will be, uh, are you going to extend the lockdowns to all these other areas, like the hospital association says, because we're in a crisis point. And once again, we went into a one-day record in terms of coronavirus cases. And he'll say, "Um, well, I, I take advice from Dr. Williams. And then a couple hours later, Dr. Williams will come out and he'll say something and we'll all go, I don't I don't understand I, uh, that. 
Yeah, I don't get it. So let, uh, let's, but seriously, let's get the, the health minister here. Let's, uh, Christine Elliott, she knows how to answer a question, right? Straight up. Christine Elliott. It's always been important to us to keep our schools open because that's really important for students to, to learn, but for their physical and their mental health, that is really important. Um, however, we are seeing the uh, numbers of cases rise um, tremendously, and so we're looking at all options, including schools. Yes. Oh, well, well, if we're looking at all the options, then I'm satisfied. I mean, before I thought we were only listening, looking at a couple of different options, and maybe not all of the options, maybe some of the options we'd missed, some of the special flavored options, you know, some of the, um, you know, the, the, the options that are elsewhere. But we're, we're all the options we're, we're looking at. So I, I feel better. I don't feel better. I don't, because you know what? <laughs> Check the calendar, kids. And what's going to happen if kids actually have to go to virtual? And maybe you're at home, you're saying, Alan, quit freaking out. You're in that small closet in Don Mills, and you're shouting, you're frothing at the mouth. And I don't think you're well. I think maybe you might need a vaccine, and not for COVID, possibly rabies. That's possibly true. But I, like so many other parents in this province, are looking around going, what do you mean? I, I, I get a call from a TDSB robot that tells me my kid should take his winter boots home. That doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound like a plan. Here's Merritt Stiles, the critic for the NDP. This is number eight shutdown. Parents, kids, and staff in our schools deserve a plan that is a lot more sophisticated than simply open or closed. There is uh, months and months left of this pandemic, and we need a strategy in place that will protect kids until this pandemic nightmare is over. That is Merritt Stiles, the critic for the NDP. I can tell you that the leader of the Ontario Liberal Party has called for the extension of the holiday break to make uh, have kids go into virtual learning uh, instead of going back to class in January. The leader of the Green Party has echoed that. The NDP hasn't said precisely that, but it has called the back-to-school plan or the 2021 plan by the Ford government a dumpster fire. And the fact of the matter is, I don't think we're going to get any answers today. Well, I don't think any more answers at all, other than bring your hoot boots home, kids. Bring those boots home. You ever answer your phone anymore when it rings? Do you actually answer your calls? I, I don't do it very much, but I do get calls from two sources. One, duct cleaners trying to sell me. A cl- My ducks are fine, by the way. Very clean. Spotless. Spick and span. Whistle clean. Don't need it. The other is from the TDSB. I have two kids in the Toronto District School Board, and I get calls. And for some reason, I always get a call about my high schooler uh, having been late or possibly missed class or anything like that right during the newscast when I'm on the air doing a TV broadcast between 5.30 and 6. Every single... Why did they call at 5.45? That Every time... But the other call, here's a call I got today from the TDSB. And I think all parents are worried about it. Like, what's going to happen in the New Year's? Are the kids going to go back? I mean, my kids are actually in class, in person, and they need to stay there. 
And so I get a call from the TDSB. It goes to voicemail because I never answer anything. And I retrieve it, and it's a robot. It's a TDSB robot that encourages me, amongst other things, to prepare by making sure my kid takes home his winter boots and also the following. So to ensure your family is prepared for any shift to remote learning, whether at the class, school, or system level, please consider the following actions. Ensure you have a working device at home. Ensure that the school has your correct email address. Log into Teacher as online platform to confirm you have access. Your child should have done this with their teacher. That is the TDSB robot on my voicemail. I don't think my son, I've, I'm going to wager all the Christmas gifts, all his Christmas gifts, that he doesn't know how to do that. Caroline Alfonso is the education reporter with the Globe and Mail and joins me on the line. Did you get this call as well, Caroline? I did not get the call. Wow, I missed out on that. I got the email. Yeah, I, I got the a TDSB robot because I think they figure that I probably am not checking my email or reading them <laughs> through, maybe. <laughs> but I mean, there's so much in here that is, is of concern. I, I am very privileged because I have space, I have resources, I have the technology for to be able to help my kids, but so many parents must be thinking, I don't have any of those things, and plus, I still have to go to work in January. That's right. I mean, even if you have the space and the technology, I mean, look back at the spring, Alan, when we when we had the kids home from school, um, and we didn't know how long they were going to be home for, and they ended up being home right up till the very end. Um, and it was still difficult. It was difficult to, for many parents, it was difficult to work at home while trying to manage sort of, a, it wasn't as, as fixed a schedule back then for schooling as it would be now, but still it was so difficult back then. And I, you know, I think right now I'm speaking as the education reporter, but also as a parent and, you know, I'm, I'm sort of bracing. I'm bracing for what is to come. Uh, which part of your brain, parent or reporter, is bracing in terms of, is is that a prediction, a, a thought that this is going to happen? Listen, um, if you look across the country right now, Alberta, Nova Scotia, um, Manitoba, have all announced that they are extending uh, the winter break. When I say extending the the time the kids are in class, so many of those provinces are are going to remote learning for a period for a week, maybe two. I know Quebec is doing that too. I I feel that you know there are boards across the province in Ontario that have been sending emails and making those phone calls, like the one you just received, saying, "Take everything home. We don't know what is going to happen um, after January." third, but there is a possibility. And right now, you know, I've been I've been talking to some uh, school boards this morning, uh, some directors, and there is there is a lot of mixed uh, feelings about this. Like some are saying, yes, we are looking at the possibility of an extended break in January. Some are saying, you know, we don't know yet. We're still waiting to find out. But in the meantime, please take everything home. Um, we have, you know, devices out from the spring. Make sure families are ready um, just in case we uh, we make the turn in January to online learning. 
is the province missing a calendar? Do we need to buy them a calendar, maybe to show them how close we are to the break here? Because yeah, tomorrow I, I, is the day. Yeah. I agree with you, Alan. Like it's it's you know you kind of want to prepare for this. You want to know about this. It is going to be a huge challenge. It sort of puts a damper on people who are, you know, going on a break right now. You know, I know school board officials are exhausted. They're exhausted because back in the summer, back in, you know, before school started, the provincial government kept changing the plans on how reopening would happen. They kept adding layers to it. So people were revising how schools would open. A lot of people that I've spoken with did not really get time off in the summer. And you know how this school year has been. It's been all health and safety. It's been COVID, COVID, COVID. And so they're, they were they were looking forward, counting down. I spoke with one official who was counting down the days till Friday just because there would be a break. And now there's this, this, this feeling in the air that what is going to happen? Do we need to start, do we need to come back to work early and start planning for what's going to happen after these, these two weeks off? It, yeah, because it's not like they can tomorrow afternoon at the one o'clock Dovo show say, "Oh, by the way, we're going to virtual uh, right across the province or in all the lockdown areas." I mean, there needs to be some prep for that. There need we just can't all come back on what is it January the fourth and go, "Oh, we're just going to do it on the computer now." Exactly, and I, I also question wonder, Alan, whether it's going to be sort of a provincial decision or whether it's going to be sort of what Windsor did, which was a local health unit decision. So we're going to see maybe sort of the local health units in the GTA uh, right up to uh, outside to go to Niagara, whether they're going to make sort of a separate decision from, you know, somewhere up in North Bay where there haven't been as many cases, right? So why why would you close schools to in-class learning up there when when COVID is not running rampant as it is in the GTA? So I wonder if the province is going to sort of download the responsibility down to the local health units to make uh, the call at the end of the day and when that call is going to be made. I mean, honestly, I think everybody just wants to know now so that we can prepare as opposed to sort of in the middle of this break where everybody's, again, scrambling to figure out, you know, where is my gonna, kid going to study in the house? Where where am I going to set it up? How am I going to work at the same time? How am I going to work outside the home at the same time? Um, yeah, I think, I think it would be nice to know now than later. And not to mention the supports that are not in place. I mean... I mean, again, I, I come back to my privilege, and my privilege is, you know, I have the kid's mom, I have my wife, both who work from home, and they can support on learning, and they can help. Uh, you know, there's a lot of families that don't have that. They're going to have to go back to work or or not be able to go back to work because they're going to have to be home with kids. And I don't see how, A, we're ready for that in any way, shape, or form, or nor do we have the provincial supports in place to be able to support those families. Keep in mind, Alan, that there are a lot of children in this province, a lot of students in this province that are already doing online learning. So there has been some sort of structure put in place as to the amount of time teachers are uh, with students in the virtual classroom. So that you know, there is there is a better sort of plan, if you will, than there was in the spring in 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 insofar as time in a, uh, in that classroom. But 
you know, it is it is going to be a huge undertaking because, yes, there are devices out. Yes, those devices went out in the spring, but then there's still going to be a scramble to get everything in place to move these teachers online. I, I don't know about your kids, but I know the teachers in my children's classrooms have already set up the online platform for the children to go on. So they've done sort of that that first step in the process. But kids will still have to learn that. They'll still have to adapt to that. And I think the hope among, you know, many right now is that it's going to be a short-term thing. It's not going to be extended as it was in the spring where it went month after month after month. But hopefully this is a week or two and then kids can return back to the classroom. Caroline, you want to make a bet at all? You want to make any predictions? Let's just say GTHA, not province-wide, GTHA. Kids come back in January or go to virtual? I think um, I think January may be a virtual month. Full month? For, well, it, Alan, that's, it's so hard to predict, and I would hate to, you know, I hate predicting because I'd rather have the facts, but... It could be sort of the older grades. It could be the high school students predominantly who have been doing a mix of virtual and in-class. It would be easier technically to move them online fully as opposed to the elementary class, which goes to school every day. So if that were to happen, my prediction lies with sort of the high school, um, the 7 to 12 kind of group moving online. Caroline, thank you so much for your perspective and bringing us up to speed on this. All the very best this holiday season. I hope you get a chance to relax and not think about this <laughs> over the break. Same to you. Thanks, Alan. That is Caroline Alfonso, who is the education reporter with the Globe and Mail. Um, can I see your papers, please? Do you have the appropriate inoculations to be listening to this show? I'm sorry. Yeah, if you are not completely up to date with all your inoculations, you will, you will, I will have to ask you to leave because only people who have been inoculated against, you know, being a troll, for example, can listen to this audio content. Now I joke, but in 2021, whether or not you have a vaccine passport may be vitally important to what you can and cannot do in the province of Ontario. The Minister of Health, Christine Elliott, a while back was asked about it, kind of mused about it, then seemed to walk back the thing and sort of, well, I don't know. Well, asked about it again today. Here is Christine Elliott with a little bit more information about what she expects is coming in terms of proof of vaccination in this province. Well, people will receive a confirmation of vaccination when they receive the first dose. They will get a receipt indicating that they've had the first dose. When they get the second dose, they will receive uh, confirmation. We're just finalizing the format it's going to take. But this is something that we've planned for all along. And we know that many people are going to need that confirmation for a whole variety of reasons, travel, work-related, and other reasons. That is Christine Elliott talking about proof of vaccination in the province of Ontario, especially if we talk about Pfizer, which, as you know, requires two different shots. Ann Kavukian is executive director at Global Privacy and Security and the former Ontario Privacy Commissioner and joins me on the line. Well, hello, Ann. 
Hello, Alan. Always a pleasure speaking with you. Always great to speak to you, too, Anne. Are you going to get yourself some proof of vaccination? You know, I find it so appalling, Alan. This is the beginning of function creep and surveillance where the government and other third parties unknown are going to know very personal details about your information. And, you know, what makes me crazy is uh, I always laugh at the thought of China with their social credit scores and how outrageous that is and how much it really obscures people's lives dramatically. And we're going down the same path. So first of all, you're only going to have enough vaccines for, I think, about 3 million people by the end of March. That's only 8% of Canadians are going to be vaccinated. So so most people won't be able to get this, even if they want to get it. But then you're going to have all these other individuals who do have allergic reactions to this vaccine. I'm sure you've heard about the allergic reactions that have been resulted. If you have, um, you know, any kind of allergies, you use an EpiPen. So let me go very public here. I use an EpiPen for allergies. So that would penalize people like myself but we couldn't get a vaccine uh, passport, even if we wanted to. But the fact that the government is going to be requiring this, this is the function creep and surveillance that will be amounting enormously. But, Anne, let me argue the other side of this, because yeah. we require all kinds of proof of documentation. You need documentation to travel. You need a passport. You need uh, inoculation forms to go be able to go to school, all kinds of things. And this is not a forever thing. I hear your point about EpiPens, and we don't know how that will develop in terms of the science and dealing with people who do have allergic reactions. But we're going to get to herd Im- immunity eventually, Anne. It's not going to be that long, maybe a year, year and a half. And so, I mean, what else are we going to do other than to say to everybody, well, you can't do anything until we all have it? No, you do what you're doing now. The social distancing, people are doing that. You know, there's all kinds of things. But this, um, first of all, these passports, I don't believe they're going to end when the pandemic ends. I think this kind of personal information is going to continue. And the only passports we have now, yes, for travel and to different countries, etc., but that is kept very, very strongly protected, that data. This is health information. This is health data. That's the most sensitive personal information that exists and should not reside with anyone other than yourself and your physician, etc. So this. But my kids need a little yellow forms to be able to go to school and to say that they've had, uh, you know, inoculations. Sorry, I'm talking about adults. You're right. Children, absolutely. But I'm talking about adults. You don't have that for adults. And I don't want this to creep into the adult sphere where you have to prove all kinds of things relating to your health or lack thereof in various areas. This is very sensitive information, and it can be used to penalize individuals all over. And the last thing we want is to mount additional surveillance in various areas of our lives. And the government will control this. This will grow. I don't think this is going to go away unless we fight it very strongly. Look, I, you know, I, I'm a sucker for an Orwellian t- uh, tale as much as the next guy, but I just don't see this that way. I think that if we don't have some kind of staggered rollout where there's some kind of proof of vaccination, that we're not going to be able to stagger and reopen the economy. We're going to have to say to every server in a restaurant and every hotelier that, no, no, you got to wait until everybody has it before you can do anything. And I don't think that is a reasonable thing to expect. 
I agree with you. But we also don't have to do the opposite in terms of requiring these vaccine immunity passports, because this will come back to bite you. There is no question this will cause a lot of undue concern and harm. And then for individuals who cannot get the passports, like myself, What's going to happen to people like that? I travel a lot. Well, I used to when we could travel before COVID, you know, travel various places on speaking engagements, et cetera. I'm not going to be able to do that anymore. I mean, there are huge consequences to this that people are not considering. And we don't. But you're, what you're go. saying is that because you can't travel, that, that those that can get it shouldn't be able to as well. Well, why would we want to encourage the growth of this type of document. That's, I guess, what I'm saying, because you're going to have function creep into other areas. This is now with the COVID pandemic. It'll, it'll grow into other areas. There is no doubt of that. And that's the last thing we want, in my view. Privacy forms the foundation of our freedom. We want to live in free and open societies. So why would we want to have to show these kind of proof of papers um, relating to various activities in our lives. It's just the beginning, Alan, and this is what we have to fight. Would you be satisfied if, if we said, okay, when WHO says the pandemic is over, that nobody needs this thing anymore? And by the way, I, I don't I don't hear the Minister of Health, but I, let me play this for you. Here, Here's one, I want to play this. This is, again, Christine Elliott, again, with more details about a potential proof of vaccination in the province of Ontario. People will receive uh, a receipt when they receive the first dose, and then upon the second dose, when it's been completed, they will receive something more substantive, uh, as I said, because many people are going to need it for uh, lots of reasons. Something more substantive. I'm, I, you know, yeah. we don't know what that means uh, yet. No, well, I mean, what's no. that say to you? Uh, th- that says you're going to need this stamp on something like a, a passport equivalent in this area. And without it, you're going to be penalized. That's what concerns me. I want to live in a free and open society where privacy prevails and respected. Your personal health information is respected. This is going to go in the other direction. And don't think that others disagree with that. Uh, 300 uh, scientists, epidemiologists from all around the world, this is in the context of contact tracing, tracing people who have COVID. 300 epidemiologists wrote an open letter, 26 countries, And they said, we have to caution you against mounting surveillance in this area. You cannot track these individuals. This will be a nightmare if we go in that direction. And they cautioned everyone against collecting personal information relating to COVID. That's what these COVID passports will do. Okay, well, let's just for sake of argument say, okay, we're not going to hand out this something substantive like the minister said, but the government's got to still take some kind of data down to figure out how many people they've inoculated so we can get some kind of idea when we actually might achieve herd immunity. I'm not saying that the government wouldn't keep track of the number of vaccines that they've used, inoculated people. I'm sure they will con- you know, do that and continue to do that. It's the requirement that an individual have this document that clearly indicates that they've obtained a vaccine and it's like they're calling it, you know, passport. But that's what's frightening. You know, the power of a passport, that that individuals will be required to carry these papers with them and will be penalized in the workplace and other places if they don't have this. That is what concerns me the most. And the function creep will abound. 
Well, it is certainly fascinating, and I think it's going to be one of the major issues that we're going to have to confront in 2021. And Kavukian, always great to talk to you. You are so well-informed and so well-spoken. It's always a joy to discuss You're these so things kind. with you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alan. My pleasure, always. Listen, all the best, and please stay safe over the holidays. Okay, you too. Okay, bye-bye. That is Ann Kavukian, who is Executive Director at Global Privacy and Security and formerly was the Ontario Privacy Commissioner. Anybody know who the Ontario Privacy Commissioner is now? You don't. Nobody does. In fact, everybody just still thinks it's Ann Kavukian. She hasn't been actually the Privacy Commissioner for what? I know. But it's got to be like a decade now, <laughs> but still uh, is so eloquent uh, and uh, so on the forefront of being able to comment on these things. We always appreciate and coming on. It's going to be so interesting, is it not? And, and you know, I tried to spell out there, I think, my thoughts on that. I, I think there are definitely dangers that Anne brings up some some great ones there about mission creep and will this thing ever go away? But I don't see what we really have any option. I think if you you know if you just have to look at the world as it is presented to you and you know you think about these things that we we do have in our lives that are are markers of our our health and you know of our citizenship and all the rest. I don't think this is that far outside of what we have already. And I don't necessarily believe that this is going to turn into like, everybody's microchipped, you know, or whatever other conspiracy you might want to attach to it. And I think that if we don't do a thing where we're starting to say, here is your proof of vaccination, as we get to a bigger rollout, then how are we going to be able to tell who has it, who doesn't? And I understand how that creates a class of haves and haves have not, but I... I don't, how, is, how else are we going to get around that? How will we reopen our economy without it? That is the podcast for today. Don't forget the Alan Carter Show, weekdays starting at noon.